Tenekoto, Namai, Hairamai. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Kia Hi everyone. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this episode today. When I lived in the States, actually I lived in North Carolina, I was busy doing voiceover work and the odd stint as an extra in a few movies. I remember I went to Georgia to audition for a specific role. Whilst I was there, I went on a ghost tour of the city that I was in. I remember listening to this chap who was taking the tour, and I was thoroughly enthralled with the way he told the history and the stories of the supposed haunted homes or areas of the town. I remember thinking how wonderful it would be to be able to do a job like that, and I asked him at the end if he personally had experienced anything paranormal in nature during any of his tours, It turns out he had, and he shared a couple with me. That encounter really impressed me, and when I started this podcast, I decided that it would be really cool to interview people who do this kind of work. So in Season 6, I spoke with Denny O'Rourke of his experiences in the episode Pirates and Ghosts, Oh My. In this episode again, I have the opportunity to talk with a wonderful southern woman who volunteers in her local museum as a tour guide. But that is only part of what she does and who she is, as we cover many different subjects in this conversation. But the question, as always, is, are you ready to walk into this part of the Shadowlands with me and see what we discover? Then let's begin. The Reverend Mella Boraski is the Green Hedge Witch and founder of the Green Wild Tradition. She has studied and practiced spiritual witchcraft for over 20 years and is an ordained pagan minister and leader in her local community. She is certified in hypnotherapy and graduated in 2018 with a diploma as an integrative healing arts practitioner. After graduation, she founded The Three Rays of Light, where she offers hypnosis, healing arts, and spiritual guidance. Mella created the online school, Green Wild Mystical Academy, in 2021, and is the spiritual director of Arwen Grove Fellowship. She's the author of The Spell and Ritual Journal and The Manifest with the Moon Journal, available on Amazon, as well as a fantasy author on Kindle Vella under the name Mella McClure. Her witchy podcast, Bell Book and Candle, is available on all major podcasting platforms. Mel has lived in the southern United States for nearly 50 years and now resides on a family-owned farm in rural South Carolina, where she enjoys chickens, goats and gardening. She's a deep love 
for celebrating rites of passage, honouring nature and her cycles, and folk magic practices. She's hosted a monthly interface full moon ceremony in the area since early 2019. She's a member of the Sisterhood of Avalon, the Universal Brotherhood Movement, the Energy Medicine Professional Association, and the National Association of Transpersonal Hypnotherapists. I first met Mella when she interviewed me on her own podcast a year or so ago. I really enjoyed talking with her, so it's really lovely to have her here with us today. I want to let you all know that this episode is shorter than most have been lately as Mella is currently recovering from COVID, and so I didn't wish to keep her too long. My guest, Mella Boraski. Mella, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into the areas of the paranormal and the unexplained. Yeah, sure. So I have, I come from a background of um, my family coming from the mountains of Georgia in the United States, Appalachian folk people, mountain people. And that came with a lot of supernatural stories and just things like that ever since I was a child. My grandmother and my mother both told me all these stories and uh, about root doctors and, and granny witches and slewfoots and all these critters and, and terrified me as a child. But I was also having experiences as a child that I did not understand. My mother was as well. And, and so that kind of came through. It, it went away a little bit when I f- got involved in um, even evangelical fundamentalist church when I was young, which really ended up being very much like an ab- abusive cult. And at that point, a lot of the paranormal experiences I was having with my psychic gifts and all that sort of thing. I was told that I was being influenced by demons and demons and satanic things were creating these things with, within me, which actually carried over right. into even my 20s and my husband's church telling him to be divorced from me because of it and things like that. Wow. Yeah, and that was by that time I had left that kind of spiritual path and found my own found what I felt was way more authentic for me and a more pagan path. And I am a witch. I'm very much out, out there in my community as being a witch, but I live in the Bible belt, what they call the Bible belt, the South. And that that does not go over all that well with everybody. 
No, definitely not. I remember I lived in North Carolina for a while and I really felt like a lion in a den of Daniels, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm right in the middle of South Carolina, so right in the middle of the Bible Belt. I was just on the border of North and South Carolina, so uh, and it was pretty uh, like along my street, which was it was a couple of miles long. But there were like six churches, I think. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. And everybody just assumed that you were Christian right. because that that's the prevailing. But actually, uh, yeah, that's very interesting. Eh? Maybe Mella, um, we could. Talk a little bit about some, firstly, about some of the things you mentioned earlier about the granny witch thing. You mentioned a couple of things that I haven't heard. Uh, doc, something root doctor. doctor. I, I didn't root mm-hmm. doctor and slow, slow to slow tooth, slow tooth, or slow, slow foot. foot. Okay, yes. yeah. So, root doctors were something that I first heard from my grandmother and. Basically, it was just another term, I guess, where she grew up of the the people who were doing the folk magic up in the mountains. So in some areas, they'd be called granny witches, but they would put roots on people. And so if you, if you ever look up about roots, it also co- comes back to the Gullah Geechee people of South Carolina, which were the the uh, people who came over as slaves, they were forced to come here as slaves. And it's those ancestors um, that brought a lot of magic as well. And so we have this very interesting culture here in South Carolina of the Gullah people, and they have root doctors as well. But in the mountains, they were also called root doctors, and they put a root or a curse on you. And my grandmother would very often say uh, growing up that she was uh, told that they were going to go get the root doctor and they were going to put a root on her or you know, they w- it would be used as a way of of control by the parents you know if you don't behave I'm gonna go get the root doctor right right so so a root doctor basically is somebody who practices more darker um, form of witchcraft. A lot of people would will see it that way, um, just because there's so much talk about the different types of magic. But um, I see it a little bit different. But yeah, in my grandmother's time, it would be seen as almost like a voodoo type of thing. So the root doctor would kind of be like the voodoo doctor, but they wouldn't call it that in Georgia. North Carolina, South Carolina, right. would be the root doctor. Right. So he was a figure to be feared. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, I can see. I could see parents using that to discipline their children. Yeah, <laughs> pretty scary. And then, then Slewfoot <laughs> was actually used to discipline in a way as well. And I don't even know where Slewfoot came from. Although I, in my older days, I did a little research, and I think it might come from. I, I, my um, family was Scots-Irish. They came to Appalachia from Scots-Irish heritage. So maybe they brought that over. But Slewfoot was a critter that my grandmother told me lived under my bed. And at night when I was put in bed, I was told that if I got out of bed after it was bedtime, that Slewfoot would get me. And the Slewfoot part of it is that he dragged one of his feet and so they would make this kind of oh, sound okay. 
uh, and I was absolutely terrified of slufa. In fact, I wouldn't even get out of bed when I had to go to the bathroom when I was a kid. <laughs> and uh, I know that even today, I will not hang my foot over a bed over the bed. I tuck my feet into the cover and I didn't realize it till my mother and I were talking that that was probably a trauma put on me by my grandmother. Yeah, this you know you're the second person I've spoken to who has Appalachian roots. The other one was a, a wonderful lady called Witch Mama. She's a granny witch and but she lives in Kentucky, Kentucky I think. Kentucky end of of the Appalachians and she was saying the same thing that they used I hadn't heard of of your ones but similar to scare children into obedience (laughs) and that's kind of like oh you poor guys that must be a cultural cultural thing in there yeah I think so (laughs) to scare Oh, mind you, the the mountains are dangerous places to be. There's so much there that could harm you that I guess in a way it's a way of keeping you safe but but traumatizing you at the same time for life likely. And I'm sure it happened to my grandmother as well because she was so superstitious, extremely superstitious and my my family was so superstitious that when I named my oldest child, I was going to name him Jonas. And I got a call from my, um, it, I guess you could call him my hillbilly family in Georgia, because that's a loving term that people use for themselves. But they said, you cannot name your child Jonas. It's too close to Jonah. And Jonah is a, is a bad luck name. And I had to change my child's name before he was born. I had just to not do that because it brought so much just pain and strife to my family. They were so terrified. Wow. Even today, mm-hmm. that's, that's, well, things like this are very ingrained and they run very yeah, deep, don't yeah. they? Uh, almost like on a visceral level when it's something that's been passed down from generation to generation. It's very hard to buck the right. system. <laughs> yeah, and it was just easier for me yeah. to change to change it than to. I just felt like I would be dishonoring them. I would hurt. I didn't want to hurt them. It wasn't. I wasn't so strongly attached that I wanted to hurt them. Right. Right. Oh, that's that's actually both really sweet and really <laughs> sad at the same time. <laughs> So what are some of the other superstitions that your granny had that perhaps you've, or maybe not superstitions, traditional beliefs? There was some, there was a story that she would always tell about a house that she lived in. And and this was something that she told my mother growing up and even me when I was little, that when it rained, you could hear babies crying And there was a house that she lived that she swore that every time it rained, there were babies that had been thrown into the well before she ever moved there. But the babies would start crying when it rained. So she always had stories like like this. Um, She was afraid of black cats. She was in all the normal things. She she was very superstitious about uh, ladders and uh just doing certain things on certain days i wish i had 
a list because when you're growing up with all of this, you just kind of hear it put out. No, we don't do that. We don't do that. And she's no longer with us. And so I can't, even though now I'm really interested in this sort of stuff at the time when I was in my twenties, I was like, you know, my grandmother's just, that's her Irish you know all her superstition yeah. coming out that she came that brought, came with her with her family but she used to tell some pretty interesting stories and one of them that, that they were in this house that they lived in when, she, when my grandmother was very young and there was a part of the house that was built up and when they rented the home and this would have been in the 30s or 40s and they were said do not get into this room don't pull down this room. And at some point they decided that they were going to get in there. And when they got in there, this is the same house that had the crying babies. Um, there was a skeleton of, of, a, of a boy hanging from the middle of this room where they had been living. Now, you know, I don't know if that was just some mountain story and or if it really happened, but she told that story a lot. So I don't know. But it, that's the type of things that she would tell all the time. Are you living kind of in the country a bit now? I live, I live on a family farm. It's 10 acres total. Oh, okay. Three of it is my family's. And then I have two sisters that live on the property and my parents live on the property. Wow. What a neat setup. Yeah. Oh, you know, that's something I would really love for for my family, you know, to have my children around me, but have our independence at the same time. Now, where were we up to? Uh, Yeah, you were telling me about your granny's experiences. That's right. She she had a lot of stories. She would tell us the same stories over and over, and just her superstitions came from, I think, just a, a lot of passed down knowledge and passed down stories. She was an interesting lady. I miss her a lot. Oh, I'm sure. She sounds like she was a remarkable woman. And she grew up in times when it was hard as well. Definitely. So you make did or you you did without. Absolutely, yeah. And they were extremely poor. I mean, their family was so poor that even my mother, who is not even 70 yet, uh, went to school barefooted. I mean, you, you probably are familiar with the, the poor uh, community of the Appalachians. I mean, that's what people hear about yes. the most. And that's all we think yeah, to hear that's about. All right. anybody ever hears about uh, in, in yeah. their language, because my grandmother definitely yeah. had that language as well. But my mother went to school barefooted and they had, outhouses growing up and she's not even 70 she's barely 65 and oh, she's the same age as yeah. me and she grew up with outhouses and going to school barefooted yeah right right <laughs> I, I I do recall actually as a child my my grandparents lived in a government railway houses my grandfather used to work on the railway and they had an outhouse as well it was connected to town sewerage but it was an outhouse nonetheless (laughs) yeah but not not quite a lawn drop like you're referring to yeah yeah they all slept um she had three three brothers and they all slept in the same bed and they were, had the little small houses, and my granddaddy was uh, a moonshiner, 
<laughs> I mean, just like whatever you would read about, that is what my family was. <laughs> That's the truth. But, you know, there's nothing actually, well, in the summer, anyway, there's nothing wrong with being barefoot. I'm, I'm a New Zealander, Kiwi, and I really wear shoes. Mm really wear shoes uh, and that's just the kiwi culture especially in summer even going over to the supermarket will go bare mm. feet you know it's it's not something it's not because we're poor yeah. uh, or, or or you know we can't afford shoes it's just simply the culture so but i understand the difference between not being able to afford right. shoes for your children right. That when you don't have the choice, that's a bit uh, a scary. I do recall as a child going to school in the winter, and I lived in a town called Palmston North as a kid, and it was very cold there, heavy, heavy frosts and not snow. It never snowed, but it was really cold, and I would take my shoes off when I got out of sight of the house because I had to wear hand-me-downs that never mm. fitted me properly. So it was more comfortable for me to go barefoot than it was to wear shoes that hurt me all yeah, day. makes sense. I hate shoes myself. <laughs> and and nowadays there's, of course, scientific evidence to that speaks of the benefit of grounding because I know when I lived in the States for the time that I was in there, my in-laws never went without covering on their feet ever. Mm-hmm. Never, ever saw them. Even inside they'd have shoes and socks on. They never had contact with the earth at all. Yeah. And that's so vitally important for our health and well-being to ground ourselves and have contact with the earth. So in some respects, growing up not wearing shoes is actually not a bad thing. Right. Except for in the, in the, in the winter. You know, and of course, you guys have snakes there, which we don't have. So there's additional dangers that we don't face in New Zealand. How do you feel that your growing up has impacted you today I my story has so many twists and turns and when I look back at everything from how I grew up even from being in that cold and all the things my mother went through and my grandmother I've I've carried a lot of the magic with me and I I am mm. even though I can't prove it I know that I had relatives who we're probably granny witches. I mean, how, how can, Mm. I just can't imagine with everything that my grandmother told me, I think that she just was so afraid of the church, maybe that you just, you just heard it in the little stories and the little snippets, but she didn't come right out and say things. Because when I look back with all the psychic things and the happenings and the stories Mm. of even my mother, I can see that there was something going on. And so it's it's really made me extremely compassionate. It's also made me yeah. an advocate for people who not only are growing up poor, but are growing up with all the different abuses that I also grew mm. up with. And so now I'll be 50 this year. That's a lot of years of both good and bad and lessons and struggles that I can now put Mm. into my life. I can tell my own children. I can tell my grandchildren when they come and I can help the people around me. Right. Right. And 
that's I, I'm actually of the same opinion. It's our life's experience that make us who we are and the things that we've been to through for those of us who who are spiritually sensitive, our gifts aren't for us, they're given to help other people. Mm, I think so too. So so I can I can absolutely relate to what you're saying. And and on the Wiccan line, uh most of my family aren't aware of this, but uh, you know, I come from a, a, a line of Wiccans passed down on the female line, except my mother never taught us. But I know she still followed because she would, uh, my younger siblings, because there was my sister and I, and then all my, um, I have five sisters and three brothers, so I come oh, from yeah. a very large family. <laughs> Uh, even by New Zealand standards, it's a large family. So my sister and I were the oldest. Uh, I was the second, and the others were only babies. So they don't. Even my older sister doesn't remember this. But Mum would go out to her coven meetings once a month, and she'd wear this cloak. She wouldn't let us touch it. And I always wanted a cloak like that. But she never, ever passed down any information mm-hmm. to us. And I understand why New Zealand in those days, back in the 60s, was not very forward thinking. They were very religious, you know, and anything that was alternative was satanic or evil or, you know. So she, I, I, in one respect, I understand that she had no option but to keep that quiet for her own protection, really. right. And that's built in. I think some people have have called it the witch wound. I've been hearing about that lately mm. of just that mm. Mm. ancestors who have had to hide for their own well-being. And we all carry that right. inside of us. And I've even met people who say to me, why are you doing so many things out in the open? Why are you having these full moon ceremonies every month in the open for the community? You need to do things in secret. It's not safe. And that's that witch wound coming out. And there's a there's a very viable mm. reason why people are afraid because think terrible things can happen in places. And even if it's not just terrible things, you can still be hated. You can still get a lot of abuse from people. And I've gotten that even, even going into a bookstore here in my town and asking for the section for the paranormal or witchcraft or anything like that. I have gotten nasty looks. I have been told, well, it should be in the fiction section and just things like that. Yeah. Uh, and just, you know, if I wear jewelry that, that identifies me in some way as pagan, um, people will make comments. So it is, it's an interesting, it's interesting way to kind of be on that. I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. Kind of the, the veil in between when everything was hidden so much and when everything including, you know, you have witch talk and everything else that's just opening up this world of witches now, but you still have the people who are afraid of it. So it's almost like you're right there in the middle trying to figure out where you should be and what's safe. Right. And of course, there's a, there's a big, distinction between those that follow the Wiccan path and witches. Wiccan is as much a religion as Christianity is. Witches 
on the other hand, it's the practice of the craft. It's not following any set rules or guidelines. It's what feels right and intuitive to you. To right. you. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That's always been my understanding. And it's something that you're mostly inherently born with, mm-hmm. I believe. I think so. Most people who come to this, and you could call it paganism, not not all pagans are witches, though, but the whole pagan yeah. lifestyle of being earth-based, people say, oh, it just feels like I've come home. It feels like I've known this my whole life. And then the witchcraft on top of that is just when you're doing the craft, when you're doing the magic, you're doing the rituals and right. the spells. So you can have any belief. I have Christian witches that come to my things. I have met Jewish witches. I've met atheist witches. So mm. you don't have to have any one belief system in order to want to change a world with your own magic. Absolutely. And I always say, there goes your dogs again. And I, I always say to people, it's the intent that's the key to any form of magic. Absolutely. It's your intent. And the ritual that you perform is just focuses your right. intent. Like when, when I tell people in my Walking the Shadowlands Facebook group, if you want to cleanse your house, anybody can cleanse their house energetically. It's your intent that does it. You can use salt and water. You can use sage. You can, although I, I generally recommend that people use whatever's local to them. Rosemary or salt and water or clapping your hands or banging poplars together, anything that focuses your intent ritual is just a tool that focuses your intent and really it's your intent that makes the difference i absolutely agree with that i teach people all the time intent is key it's it's key with anything you do because i don't think that you need to have all these expensive tools um, and fancy herbs from all around the world i teach people all the time you go into your kitchen cabinet you pull out what feels right to you, but what you're doing in the end, it's all about your intention. And you actually don't even need anything to create magic in your life. No, you just need to think it and focus yeah. on it and feel it. Feel yeah, it. I did magic last Saturday when I was sitting in the ER. And um, as many people know, the ER is overrun right now. And so I had an eight hour wait just to be seen. And uh, they told me up front, it's probably going to be five hours. So I already knew that it was going to be a long wait. And I just sat there and I thought, I need to speed this up. I need to speed time up. And I just used my arm and I just, it was like I was doing a clock. And I just, with my intention, that time would speed up, time would speed up. And that's what I just kept saying as I did that. And it felt like no time at all was there before I was in there. It honestly did. I, I probably did it about three times through that eight hours. And I was totally fine. It, was, it wasn't at all like I had actually sat there for eight hours. It was actually ra- rather incredible. Um, and I didn't have anything special. I didn't even have any special words. All I did was said, my intention, speed up time, time speed up. Right. And that goes along with all these gurus out there who talk about 
uh, what what is it that they say? They're talking about the law of abundance and drawing universal things mm-hmm. to you. It's all about intent. Intent is really the key. Yeah, and I think that it, it, it goes on the other way as well, because if you are drawing things to you and if you're creating magic with your intent, think about how many times we curse ourselves with our own words or thoughts. Now, that's something I hadn't thought about. You're quite right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If words are power, because if you're saying your intent is the power behind it, that's the fuel, then when you are telling yourself how stupid you are or that you'll never amount to anything or when your parents say that to you or friends, you're actually stating curses where I think most of the curses we have on us. We have put on ourselves and people, it's not been put on intentionally. You know, that's something I actually hadn't even considered, but that's a very valid point. How often do we talk negatively to ourselves and and it's been trained Mm -hmm. into us for the most part. Like we've been told, uh, I I can't speak for anybody else, but we were always, you know, if we were ever proud of any achievements we made as kids, we were told, oh, don't skite. Mm. but being proud and honoring what you've achieved is not skiting it's just looking for recognition and acknowledgement right. of what you achieved there's a difference yeah, definitely. yeah so I think a lot of parents do that to their children inadvertently perhaps mm-hmm. and so they start the cycle of oh I can't feel good about what I achieved you know absolutely and then and then not only can you not feel good about it, but then you have the people who go so far as feel ashamed because they mm. have accomplished mm. something. And so therefore they try yeah. to pull it down. They pull themselves down or they pull other people down because you cannot even show anything. And so it, it becomes even this worse kind of a thing. And so we're living in this society, at least where I live, this society of everybody pulling everyone down and everyone mm-hmm. trying to be this walked upon thing that we cannot stand tall. We can't speak out. We can't even, you know, people, if they even make themselves up and make themselves beautiful and take a picture, a selfie, you've got the people saying nasty things about that. If you look like crap, you've got the people saying, hey, they don't even care about themselves. You absolutely yeah. cannot win. And so you have to find that power within yourself. And you have to recognize, I think, the power of intention in your life, good, bad, and neutral. And that's how things mm. are going to change is, is when you recognize the power of words with your own children and with your own self. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Well, powerful. You know, I honestly had never considered that aspect of it. It just had never occurred to me. So that makes me really think, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I really have to go to change the way I talk to myself sometimes, you know, because it becomes habit. Mm -hmm. And you do it without even thinking about it. Right. Oh, wow. So um, moving on, you grew up with this background in in witchcraft and in spirituality and it led you into very interesting areas in your life I hear. It does it has allowed me to um, be called in for many situations in people's homes and lands and with people to deal with negative entities negative energies 
issues, things like that. So I've had some pretty interesting run-ins um, being called in because I'm basically the local witch who deals with this kind of stuff. <laughs> right. Are you able to share any of them without, you know, yeah. um, giving people suggestions? Away? Yeah, I'll, I can share some of those. So um, one of the one of the ones that really sticks with me is because I had to go out there twice. There was this really um, dark energy at this person's house and they had they had had paranormal investigators out there they had had I believe a shaman different people out there but they could not get rid of it and it was really becoming troublesome for the owner of the house it was a very small house and I had a lady that I've been mentoring and so myself and this lady went out there and we brought a friend she brought my my friend brought someone with her who was not very not as skilled as we were, not as trained. As soon as we walked in, right. the friend had scratches down her arms and was so sick that she had to step outside. So we wow. continued to cleanse the home going through. At one point, we had this, the uh, we had burning sage in our hand and it was knocked out of our hand backwards toward us um, in one area of the home the smoke began moving in the opposite direction and we were there for several hours and this was just a small four room house. And it took us that much time to get through there, but there was something in the attic that we could not reach. And the attic door was uh, nailed shut. So we could not get up in it. And there was a chimney. Right. And we could, we could feel with our, because we both have gifts in that way, feeling energy. We could feel that something was still in, up in the attic, but the light changed. There was, there was actually several paintings in the home that ended up being burnt because they had negative energy on them. And by the time I left that home, I had scratches down my arms and I protect myself very well. I had scratches like, Fingers had gone down the backs of my arms that took about a week to heal. Yeah, about when I left that home. About a year later, they were still having problems, so we went back. This time I took my dad with me. I took a ladder, and my dad completely opened up that attic, and I climbed up into it. And it was so unsettling what I heard up there. And it was like a murmuring. And I could pinpoint the direction of where it was coming in the attic. And when I go into a place like this, I ask for all the energy of all of the support that I have. Angels and um, deities and, and spirit guides, all of that. And so I was asking for their support. And this murmuring was coming from the corner. And it was almost like a murmuring that would drive someone crazy. And so I just called in the power of my guides and angels. And I came, I came down because it was so unsettling down the steps. Someone else went up and was putting some sigils and things up there. Before we knew it, an entity, just an energy had come by the door. It was a screen door opened on its own and then slammed. As this, as we felt this, this rush of energy go by us. And after that moment, 
the house was was completely cleared. And the girl that had been living there, she had been really struggling, even to the point of having really dark thoughts and not doing well in her life. Mm -hmm. And she is doing so well now. This has been about a year ago, which was our second time there. And she is doing so well. And I think that whatever that was probably had been there a really long time, but I will Mm, never mm. forget being up in that attic and hearing that noise because it was so unsettling, whatever was up there. Right. And did you, did it make you feel unsafe? It, It made me feel extremely unsafe. I had two people holding the ladder just to get down because I I was afraid that it was going to knock me off the ladder or do something like that. So yeah, it was very, it felt very unsafe. It was, it was just an amazing feeling though. When, when I knew that it had left. Yeah. Yeah. You can feel the difference right away. eh? Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, it's hard to explain to people, (laughs) but it's like, it's like the sun coming out from behind a cloud. Absolutely. And the light changed in this house as well. And there weren't a lot of windows mm. because it was an old block house and the windows were covered, but the light got lighter. The light in that room got lighter right. and you could breathe easier in that house. And that was just one it's, of many that I've been to. That's really interesting. Have you ever had times when you've been really fearful for yourself? I don't get as fearful anymore, but um, I have t- I've had times in my life where I've been extremely fearful. One of the times was when I was in when I first went to college, and I would have uh, sleep paralysis, and I woke up. And I was, I could not move and there was something sitting on my chest. And that was probably one of the most, that happened several times. Um, But that time when I woke up in my dorm room, could not move and had this weight and it looked like a dark demonic shape sitting on my chest was terrifying. That was before I really took control of what I was doing in my life. I was very young. I was probably 19 years old and I had been, I had been programmed so much that all these things I was experiencing was demonic. So when I saw a demon basically sitting on me, I said, Oh my goodness, I'm not walking with the Lord. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. That was really terrifying. I don't get as scared anymore. I probably, I don't know. I, I would say I probably should, but I don't, anymore because I feel like um, I feel like I have more power over what's going on Mm -hmm. I'm extremely careful but it's not a fear type of a thing I know what I'm I know what I'm going against and I know what could happen but I'm not petrified in in fear I protect myself I protect Mm -hmm. my car I have certain things that I do to make sure I don't carry things home with me because I have a what would you, I don't know what you would call it, just a, a natural uh, respect for the power. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. I understand that. So all your experiences obviously kept you uh, interested in the paranormal. And so um, you became a tour guide at one stage. Yes, there is a local museum and I started being a volunteer there. 
And as soon as I started being a volunteer there, I started hearing about a ghost that was there. Um, it's very interesting because I grew up in this town and I hadn't really heard about the ghost even as a child, not until I was there. But he's called Bubba and he's very famous. And um, as I as I began to be a docent and then we got into doing ghost tours and I was the ghost tour guide, I began to have more experiences with Bubba, especially during the ghost tours, but even outside of the ghost tours. But the one time that I do remember, well, there were several times experiences with him, but I saw him once. And being Mm -hmm. a docent, I'm in costume. I'm standing up on the fourth floor. Nobody's in the, the building at the time. Nobody's on the floor at the time. And I looked over and there he was in overalls and a black and white checked shirt. And he walked uh, across from me. And in, since I'd been doing ghost tours, I thought someone was playing a trick on me. So I start right. running to find out who, who it is. And I run through the museum area and there is nobody there. So I come back to my station. I'm still dressed in costume. So I'm standing there and I'm standing outside of an old uh, country store. And I'm thinking, what did I just see that it looks like everything that I've ever heard from other people about Bubba that has to be Bubba. I looked inside the store and our second ghost was inside the store. We call her the lady in black and she was dressed in black Victorian morning outfit standing behind the counter looking at uh, a pile of material. And I said, my shift is over. (laughs) I'm done. And I left because it it just was so crazy that I saw both of them because usually people have experiences with maybe a cold hand or lights going out or things like that. Very few people have actually seen them. Ah, interesting. But obviously enough people have seen them to... Yeah, enough people have had experiences in some way. So the the very first experience that... I ever heard of with the lady in black was a woman who came and actually saw a mannequin is what she thought sitting on this. uh, It's a hearse, a horse drawn hearse that's outside of that uh, little country store. And they touched it and dust fell everywhere. And so she went to someone who was an employee of the museum and said, your mannequin up there on the hearse is filthy. Y'all got to do something about that. It is disgusting. And the man said, there is no mannequin on the hearse. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And And then I was also told by another lady, this happened before I started working there, but she had come to do a program on silver. And so she was up there before the museum opened, setting out her silver. And she had been told by the security guard that nobody was in the building. She could go up there on her own. And so as she was setting up her silver, a man in overalls stepped into the room and came over and began talking to her picked up her silver and was asking her questions about it. And she was very nervous because she was thinking, hey, nobody's supposed to be here. I haven't put my stanchions up to keep people from touching things. This man is touching everything. So the man put everything down. He was very nice to her. He left. 
She runs downstairs to the security station and said, there's somebody else in the museum. And he said, no, there's not. She said, check your cameras. So they proceed to look at the camera and they see the door open. They see her talking to someone. They see her silver lift up, but there is nobody there. Yeah. (laughs) That's pretty. That's probably the most amazing story I've ever heard, I think, (laughs) that it was caught on camera. Wow. Yeah, that was amazing. I couldn't believe that. And, and, that was sent to me by someone who is very well thought of in the community. She is not someone that would just make something like that up. Yeah. Wow. I wonder if they still have the footage. I have asked and asked for that, but I think it's one of those things where it gets deleted at the end of the day because it's no right. one has ever been able to find it. But she says that she she stood there and watched it, and that is what happened. I believe wow. her. Yeah, that poor woman. <laughs> she must have... <laughs> right. Oh gosh. And Bubba's never heard anybody, but I guess he is interested in silver. <laughs> yeah. So what's the history with Bubba? Do you know anything about his history? What, what I know and what I've been told is that before it was a museum, it was an old cotton mill. And um in between the time that it was a a museum and a cotton mill, there was a lot of work being gone gone on to convert it. And he had died in right. the elevator shaft. So he had thought the elevator box was under him and it actually was above him and it cut his head off. So some people see him with a head. Oh. I saw him with a head, but some people have reported seeing him without a head. Um, and that's kind of oh, where wow. that started. As, and as far as the lady in black, we have a whole Victorian morning area. So I think that since there's not as many stories about her that go back that far, I feel like she must have come in with pieces of um, maybe Victorian hair, jewelry or something like that. Right, right. That's exactly what yeah. I was going to say. More a piece of morning yeah, jewelry with her right hair. Right there, where she yeah. is seen a lot. So that whole area uh, is right there. So she could be attached to any of that. Right. Maybe you could explain to my listeners who may not be aware of how it's possible that spirit can sometimes attach to objects. Yeah, absolutely. I have dealt with a lot of different objects that have that energy attached to it. And that's kind of what it comes down to. In my belief system, at least, everything is energy. I think even scientifically, they've proven that everything to to some degree is some sort of energy. And so it goes to prove that when your body dies, your energy goes somewhere. So if you have something like hair jewelry or even paintings or other things like that, even homes, even the walls of your house, if you've lived in a house for 30 years, and that's kind of where the residual hauntings, I think, come from, is that energy has Mm -hmm. opened up that door you know, a million times, it, it stands to reason that that energy is going to keep kind of doing that. But um, I think that energy gets absorbed into items. And so therefore, you could have this manifestation coming from an object. Right. So especially if it's something that they loved, or it's got right. personal 
uh, like hairs, like the Victorian mourning jewellery that had the hair of the deceased person. Right. And that's got the energies attached to Absolutely. it. Which is why in some cultures it's very important what you do with your hair clippings and your nail your hair and your nail clippings mm. because they can can be used in black workings against you. So I know some cultures are very careful about, I was speaking with a couple the other day who said that they often bury Ooh. their hair and their nail clippings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it would be in a lot of different magic systems of what you can do with that because yeah. even, even in the magic that I do, if I want to really boost the power of something, let's say I'm making a spell jar that's for protection for myself, you're going to just boost the power of that exponentially by putting your own nail clippings or hair into that or, or other right. parts of, you, of your body. People use blood all the time too, blood magic. I mean, that's yeah. supposed to be very powerful. So in a lot of places, yeah, you don't want somebody, the wrong person, to get their hands on that because they're going to have a lot of control over you. Right, right, because it just flows back to the energy. So, and, and there's no distance, there's no time or distance with the energy. So it doesn't matter if they're on the other side of the world, they can still affect your energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true. And I think that even if they don't have your hair or your nail clippings, I still see that as true because I've had people all over mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. send me even Reiki healing and they're affecting mm-hmm. me because time and space is not something that we understand. So it really doesn't matter how far away or what time it is, but yeah, definitely you get that power when you have it, it, some, sometimes people say with their name, your true name too, if someone uses your name in magic. And that's why a lot of times you'll find even witches and other magic practitioners who will use other names when they're out in the public or things like that. They have a special name that nobody but their closest coven members would know because that in itself has power as well. Right. Well, it all boils down to energy again, doesn't it? And it's basics. It's all energy. And actually, that's something that my star people taught me all about was energy and intent. Mm -hmm. And it's a natural law of this planet. Yeah, I remember when you were on my podcast and you were talking about that. I thought that was so interesting that it was when you were a child, right? They taught you about energy and intent. Yes. And it's something that is such an important such an important concept that more people are learning about now and the star people already taught you that. I thought that was so interesting and amazing. Yeah, all my life. And with the current world situation as it stands at this point in time, I've known for some time that this was coming. I didn't know the exact mechanism that was going to be used, but I knew what was coming. Have you noticed uh, recently Actually, it's probably been about three years now how thin the veil has become between dimensions. I have absolutely noticed that because the majority of the things that I've been called to do with um, entities and all that sort of thing has been within the last three or four Mm -hmm. years. The majority of it, I'd say, have been within the last two and a half, I would say. Yeah, that's right. 
I have noticed even, I, I'm an empath and I have noticed even shifting emotions in the world. Last summer, mm-hmm. I can, I could pinpoint, I knew when the shift here in America mostly happened where everything went from just the fear, fear and panic. And it turned to rage. Mm. I don't know if you felt that or mm. you know what I'm talking about, but there was a time I do. that it shifted mm. to rage. And mm. I've definitely just seen a lot of things happening in my own life around my own property of the veil thinning. And Samhain is one of my favorite times of year. So I'm, I'm always about liminal space. I love the liminal times of year and the liminal places right. on the world. But I feel like it's liminal time everywhere. I feel like we're living in a liminal time right now. Can you please explain for my listeners who may not know what a liminal time is? So liminal space or liminal times are transition places. So a liminal time of year would be a transition season like you've got autumn going from summer to to winter. You've got spring, which is winter to summer. So those are times that are very liminal, but also the place where the ocean meets the beach, that's a liminal space. Even something like a stairwell or a corridor in a hotel, those are liminal spaces as well. So it's that kind of in-between space as it moves to something else. Ah, wow, that's very interesting. I actually didn't know that myself, so you were educating (laughs) me as well. But yeah, and I've said to my uh, Walking the Shadowlands group members so many times over the past two and a half, three years, be aware the veil is thinning, it's so thin, it's buckling and tearing Mm. in places. I'm noticing that my group members are seeing a lot more spirits, uh, they're mentioning a lot more how, um, well, I've got new members joining who are saying, I'm having this issue in my home. Uh, My child is seeing this, my child is seeing that. And it's solely because of this thinning, tearing and buckling. And it's part and parcel of the overall things that are happening with this planet. And when when COVID first started and start the fear really started with the people, I put out a little podcast episode, just 20 minutes long, called The End Game, yeah. which is my overall view and knowing of what's happening. And the COVID is just a tool that's been used to up the fear. Yeah. It's very real. Mm-hmm. It's very real. I'm not doubting that COVID is out <laughs> there, as you know, because you're getting over it yeah. yourself. But it's definitely been used to create oh, fear yeah. in people. Absolutely. I agree. You know, the whole world has been run on power since early times. And anything absolutely. that politics or religion can grab a hold of that can control they're going to do that. Mm, so it, mm. it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, but it does mean that mm. you're going to have people that are going to use it for their own benefit. Absolutely. Now, Mela, I, I don't want to keep you much longer because I know you're recovering from COVID and, uh, and I really appreciate your time today. Before we go, tell us about your podcast and what you do. I have a podcast. It's a witchy podcast. I like to call it a witchy wellness podcast because I have a lot of different people coming on it. I'm all about wellness, but I'm also about magic and I'm about ritual and 
um, just all those types of things of living my everyday spiritual life. I'm not the type of person that on a full moon, that's when I'm a witch. I'm a witch all day, every day. (laughs) And so that comes into my podcast and it's called Bell Book and Candle. And it's on all the major podcast stations and platforms. And I have wonderful guests. You've been on there. It was a wonderful episode with you. Lots of people talking about anything from their own personal magic and being a witch to most of my guests not even being witches, but they're coming on talking about their stories and their journey and uh, manifestation and and their own magic. So I think it's, it, it was something I started during the pandemic and it's just been a wonderful thing. I think. So are you on all social media platforms? So how can people get a hold of you? I am on Facebook under Bell Book and Candle. And I also have a website called threerayesoflight.org. And that's a number three. And you can message me right through that. Or you can message me or find me on Facebook. That's that's mostly the social media that I'm most active on. Right. But um, so you're not on Instagram or TikTok or... I. I am Twitter. more active on there. <laughs> I look, I totally get that. It, one of the things I find the hardest doing this podcast is the social media. <laughs> I wanted to tell you about an experience that I just had three weeks ago. And uh, do you have a minute for me to tell you this? Yeah, okay. yeah, please. Yeah. It was one of the most amazing experiences in my whole life. And my um, son's fiance, her father got very ill and he got ill within a week. He was intubated and everything else. And so they had to uh, pull, um, pull him off all the machines and everything. And Uh, I've been hospice volunteer. I've, I've been in the house when people have died. I've never stood right next to somebody when they died, but mm. I'm, held space for her and was in there when this happened. I prayed that the angels would come and Marianne, I saw angels coming down the hallway of the hospital. And as it happened, the room filled with angels and other spirits. I don't know who they were, but the whole hospital room filled with these spirits. They congregated as he died They congregated over his body and I saw them. It was like his soul came up out of his body and the angels gathered it. And then healing energy spread throughout the room Mm. and then it all went away. And then I saw him standing behind when, when the daughter came in, I saw his spirit behind her with his hand on her shoulder. I saw her hair move from where he was touching her. And I didn't wow. say anything to anybody because, of course, you don't just out of the blue tell people. No. But then I was asked no. about what did I, because they know that I'm a sensitive and they, I was asked if I noticed anything. So when I, when I actually told them before I even got to where he was standing, she knew. She said, I felt him there. I knew mm. he was there, but I didn't know about, I didn't want to ask. I didn't want to say anything. Uh, it was so incredible. Uh, but the whole, I don't know. I'm not afraid of death and I teach classes on not being afraid of dying, but it was such an incredible experience to watch the healing take place at the moment of death of when the soul came up and the healing energy. 
just happened. It was really incredible. Wow, that what a beautiful experience to witness. That must have been incredibly comforting Very for you. Comforting. Actually. I, mean, I just, mm-hmm. I didn't have any fear at all. And it almost, yeah. it, even though I don't have a lot of, of course, everyone's going to fear the moment of death. But going forward, I, I, it's like I've seen the moment of death and I've seen the healing and the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. And there's, mm-hmm. even though you're fearing the unknown, there's nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It gave me a lot yeah, of comfort. I, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I was a nurse for close to 40 years, and I've seen thousands of people die. That's no exaggeration. Thousands of people die. And I, I've i sat with people who had no one because I didn't want them to pass yeah. by themselves because, you know, that's just, that's just not right. nice. They need to have somebody there helping them, you know, not helping them, just yeah, comforting, just being space, there. Yeah. Just holding space, yeah. And I've never seen what you've seen. I've felt, but I've never seen what you've seen in all those years, and I've seen thousands of deaths. But to me, I agree with you, death is not to be feared at all. What scares me is how I'm going to die. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a very human thing. Of course, we'd all like to die in our sleep painlessly, but... But, you know, the death itself holds no yeah. fear for me whatsoever. It's, it's merely moving from one room yeah. to another. Yeah, just a transition. Just a transition. What a beautiful – what do these angels look like? They – I've seen angels before. I've seen angels on the on, on the roofs of cars as I was driving. Every car around me had this white, um, almost a – it was like a – like yeah, an aura. Yeah, and almost kind of in the mm. shape of just a really large creature, kind of flowy. And that's what I saw coming down the hospital room is just this this bright white light, but you can kind of make out the shape. And then when they came right. when they were in the room, I could tell between the angels and the spirits. And I and I've been told that spirits come when someone's, you know, their ancestors and things like that. So that's what I'm assuming that was. But it was, it was just like a very, a very uh, loving white light in the shape of a very large humanoid. Not like how people perceive angels biblically with wings and. Yeah, I couldn't make out anything like that, but I, you know, angels are in all kinds of cultures and they're not all called angels. (laughs) Absolutely. And, and, you know, I've always been of the opinion, what are angels but extraterrestrials? Because they don't belong in this reality and this dimension. So by definition, they are extraterrestrial. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, but it's perception, yeah. isn't it? It's perception. Definitely. But what a wonderful experience for you, Mela. That's just that must have just been incredibly calming, incredibly support, and f- and for you to be able to pass that yeah. on to the grieving family as well. What a blessing yeah. for them. I mean, I've had a lot. I've had a lot to do with grieving families over the years. Um, both both um, as a nurse and in my work as a sensitive. And it's always, to me, a huge blessing and a responsibility to be able to help these people 
um, to pass messages like that on, you know, that their loved ones are okay and that, you know, they're still around them and they still love them. You know, that, that, that never stops with the passing of the body but Mela I'm I'm really aware of your time and I'm really aware that you are recovering from COVID so I don't want to take any more of your energy otherwise I'd keep (laughs) you talking for another hour like like literally literally I would I would but I'm not going to do that to you I'm I'm really grateful for the time that you've given us today and thank you so much it's just been an absolute pleasure talking to you thank you so much for having me it's it's been a joy I want to thank Mella for being so kind and talking to me while she's still recovering from her COVID infection. I'm extremely grateful to her for her time and energy and being a part of this episode and by the time this is, she hopefully is feeling heaps better and is fully recovered. Next episode will be our yearly Halloween show. I really enjoy doing those episodes because it's the one time that I allow myself to add sound effects and fun bits to the show. This year will be a little different though. Instead of two, I'm only doing one for the podcast and a special one for my patrons only. So, if you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members-only page on the podcast website that has bits that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like the full, raw, unedited video conversations with guests, those that don't request anonymity, of course, EVPs caught during the conversations, and so much more. Also, you can download full written transcripts of each episode, and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude, patreon.com forward slash mcc15, for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. So, what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. This episode's bumper music is simply called Scary Five. If you enjoy our podcast so you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words, open Walking the Shadowlands, and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10, TikTok, under walking underscore the underscore Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. Also, check out our website, walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. 
Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier. Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oya koi. I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. 